and welcome to Positive Mental Attitude. It's a podcast about the positive aspects of mental health. I'm Juliette Burton. I'm a comedian, a speaker, a writer, a tinker tailor soldier, mental health advocate. That's how the rhyme goes, even though it didn't really rhyme. Mental health conditions are nothing to be ashamed about. And it's a good thing too, because I have an entire treasure trove of illegitimate things to be ashamed about, but none of them include my mental health conditions. I am here to help you feel no shame in having any mental illness. So if you feel ashamed at the end of this podcast, then that will make me feel ashamed. And annoyingly, I'll have something else to add to the trove. So far in my life, I've been diagnosed with the following conditions. Anorexia, anxiety disorder, bipolar disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, bulimia, bipolar disorder, it's worth saying twice because it's got two parts, compulsive overeating disorder, depression, psychotic hallucinations, and obsessive compulsive disorder. I know I said so far in my life, but just to clarify, I'm not attempting to add to my collection, promise you. Pretty sure that that's another condition in itself, if I were. Now, I'm managing my mental health conditions. It's, uh, it is a bit of a challenge doing that. Uh, and this podcast will hopefully make that challenge easier for you and possibly for me as well. Or failing that, maybe it'll make it less hard, which is why in this podcast, we focus on the solutions and the positive aspects of mental illness. You are very welcome. Joining me this week is the fabulous Chris Hemmings, journalist and author of the book Be a Man, which is not a book offering financial advice to young people, but is instead a book on the damaging nature of macho culture and how to escape it. I'm obviously very macho and very proud of it, but nonetheless, I think it's a topic worth discussing. So hello, Chris. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. very much my pleasure. Uh, So can we start off with uh, talking about the book Be a Man? What is it about? Um... Well, so it started out as a um, a look at, at macho culture, but it actually started because I was watching Grayson Perry's documentary um, on Channel Four in 2016, um, and as I was watching it, I mean, it, it was brilliant. It was it was a fantastic thing that he did, um, and was very timely, of course. And weirdly enough, it had culminated that kind of period of my life I'd been kind of looking and writing about. Um, about macho culture because of what I then put in the book which about myself. And I sat down at the end of the first episode and I just thought to myself, well, that's really great, Grayson, but you don't know what it's like to be on the other side. You don't know what it feels like to have been hoodwinked and caught up in that ridiculous macho world. And I do. And so I sat down that evening and I wrote the first chapter and a half. And two weeks later, I had a book deal, which scared the hell out of me. But what the book does is it is is the culmination of years of introspection and trying to understand how I got to a place where in 2006 I was stood in a room full of 40 shirtless chanting men pouring a drink over a woman's head because I'd been told that I had to because I was a fresher and those were the rules and if I didn't obey the rules I would be kicked out of the club. Six months later, I was then in the second year and was meant to be the aggressor. And for the first time in my life, I bullied someone. And because I'd been fat and been picked on for being fat, the way that the cycle continues is that I then pick on someone else who's fat, of course. And as soon as I did that, I saw the moment this young guy's face dropped. And at that instant, my empathy clicks back in. And I panicked and I, and I and I reeled, I literally reeled, physically reeled backwards and, and left the room and never went back. Fast forward five years from there, having 
been ostracised from the club and had no one to live with in my third year and had kind of gone back home to Manchester to see my friends who'd all gone, where were you for the last few years because you went a bit weird for a while. Five years after university, I found myself standing at the altar at my dad's funeral, feeling a sense of pride that I wasn't crying. I felt it was I felt a sense of achievement that I would manage to hide my true emotions on that day, which was the second saddest day of my life after the day that he died. And then three months after that, when the cocaine and and alcohol clouds parted, I started to look at how that could have happened and how someone who always claimed to be a nice guy could get caught up in such macho bullshit that that I ended up feeling like that and putting myself into a position like that when I am somebody who is unbelievably fortunate to have the brain that I have, that I have never, ever even come close, I don't think, to having mental health problems. But I almost put myself into a position of having an addiction. I almost put myself into a deep, dark depression simply because I didn't allow myself to recognize my feelings. I was emotionally illiterate for those years of my life as a result of, of that. And and so I, I'd started to, to, to figure it out. I'd started to, to figure myself out. And then I started to think about other people and, and started to research it as a journalist. And I did lots of radio programs about it and wrote about it. And then, yeah, this, this book just tumbled out of me and it's semi-autobiographical, but I interviewed 50 people. I spoke to people from all walks of life about how macho culture affects every nuance of their lives. And of course, the male suicide statistics were a big um, were a big catalyst for me writing it, but there's, it, there's so much more that goes with it. And now that's kind of my life's work. And now I go around speaking to university students, people at places of work, school, children, everyone about just telling them to fucking stop it. Like, just stop and, and, and allow yourself to feel and you'll feel much better. So that's it, really. That's that's how it all came about. You are an anomaly out of all my guests of the whole uh, the whole series of uh, Positive Mental Attitude podcast. We've always had people on who identify as having a mental illness. Sure. And I know that you don't identify as having a mental illness, uh, but I really wanted you on because when we met, we met as part of the Mental Health Speakers Collective, yeah. which is a group of people who we all talk about mental health in a very positive positive way and I felt incredibly drawn to you and your story because I come at it from perhaps what might appear at first to be on the surface level as the polar opposite so having eating disorders and feeling that my mental health recovery from eating disorders is intrinsically linked to my feminism mm -hmm. so having a voice as a woman yep. has helped me help me in my ongoing journey of recovery from eating disorders specifically, not necessarily from anxiety or depression, but specifically eating disorders and body dysmorphic disorder. And you came at it from the the mental illness of, that's the wrong word, but I, I feel like it is a societal illness of macho culture. It's a great way to put it. That's exactly it. It is. And it's the least hidden, which is the most baffling thing for me, but what I think is the saddest thing for me is you talked there about your feminism being one of the, 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 the drivers of you kind of making yourself feel better about all of the things that go on in your mind that I'll never understand. Um, which, by the way, when I was caught up in that nonsense, I was the sort of person who if someone had depression, I'd just tell them to cheer up. 
you know, again, not really my fault though, because nobody had educated me, and, and nobody had educated a lot of the guys around me. But what baffles me is is that those guys, they know, we knew what we were doing was bad, but we laughed about it with each other, and that environment that we create doesn't allow for individuality. It doesn't allow for weakness. It doesn't allow for political correctness, if you even want to use that word. It doesn't allow for any sort of correctness. It only allows for whatever the alpha males determine to be acceptable and for what everybody else doesn't have the courage and bravery to call out. And it creates a rank atmosphere. And I was right there in the middle of it, knowing deep down that it was wrong, but not having the courage to call it out. And what I say to to a lot of young boys when I see them now, young guys, in particular in school, I see them. I, I see them sat in in the in, in the in the theaters, in the in, in the theaters that I go and speak at in schools, for example. And I see the row of guys, and I look, and I'm like, "That's me. I can see myself right there." And it's always one of those guys that puts their hands up and says, "But I'm fine." And I say, "Well, maybe you are, or maybe you're just saying that because you want everyone to think that you are, and deep down you may not be, but you don't know." Those five guys that sat around you, or I remember specifically at one university, about 20 of them, all just telling me how wrong I was. And me saying, you don't know that if one of those people that sat around you, one of those men that sat around you is really struggling with something, you would never know because you have not created an environment where he is able to come and say, help. Or even, can we stop doing this because it's damaging not just me, it's damaging the people that we are enacting this nonsense upon as well. And that's my shame. And that's why I do this work now is to repent for that and to make sure that other young boys and men don't fall into the same trap that I fell into. You use the word repent there. That's a really powerful word. Do you feel like that's, yeah, re repenting, you feel that amount of guilt and shame for being a part of something. Yeah. That, it wasn't like you began it, though. No, 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 but that's but that, that we have to get out of that mentality. For so long, men will say, and they still do, and it, it, it infuriates me, men will say, but I'm not like that. Yeah. Well, great, and, and, and congratulations for not being like that. I was like that. Even if you're not instigating it, even if you're not participating in it, if you're a bystander and you witness it, and you don't have the courage to intervene, then particularly when it's happening within your own friendship group, that's the worst because that doesn't take a lot of courage to intervene when it's your own friendship group. I understand if it's happening out on the street and you hear misogyny or you hear anything hateful on the street, it's hard to intervene if you don't know someone because you don't know what will happen to you. But everybody has a sphere of influence in their lives. And all I'm trying to do is make men in particular, because men are still the leaders of the world, it's difficult to argue with that, the men have the ears of the men. And at the moment, we're not using that enough for good. And all I'm trying to say is, guys, just be a bit better and understand that there are people out there, like you, for example, like a lot of people listening right now, who I will have affected with my behavior. And I apologize for that. I right here, right now, apologize for that. And I have to repent for it. And the only way that I can make up for it is by stopping any anyone else from following the path that I took. And it works because, I, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not talking about thousands of Damascene conversions where everyone is now perfect, because I'm not, certainly not. But I have had men come up to me and boys come up to me and just say, I hadn't thought of that before. And that's all I want is to start having conversations that we haven't had ever. 
the word that comes to mind is responsibility. Like you, you seem to be taking responsibility for your actions. Obviously, that's that's something that you can do, but also for your influence on other people. And that's something that not everybody does. That we don't all, we're not all aware of the influence that we have on a daily basis, on a one-to-one interaction basis. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the like calling out a stranger on their misogyny. I feel passionately. Um, I, I've done that. Like I've when I've been catcalled, I've gone up and 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 confronted the catcaller. Or yeah. when I've seen some, somebody else be when when there's a woman who's walking ahead of me, and they're, they're, I'm speaking, thinking of a specific example in my hometown um, about a year year or so ago, and there was a woman ahead of me, and uh, I heard the guys, the group of guys, chatting about her afterwards, and I went up to them because I have a voice now, and it's a part again of my. I used to try to cut my voice off by either starving myself or shoving food down my throat or punishing myself through being bulimic. And I now realise that that voice needs to be let out. And sometimes that might be too much. Sometimes it might be in a structured way, like I might agonise for a year about creating a comedy show where I will say my opinions, but I'll make it funny. Therefore, people might listen more. Those moments you mentioned of it is scary to confront people, strangers on yeah. their misogyny. It's also, can I just say, it's also really scary to confront your friends for the first time. It really is. And have you done that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. My friends are getting tired of it now, but the point <laughs> is there. They know now. But yeah, it, 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 of course it's hard, particularly for a woman to go up to a man and say it, which is why men have to be the ones that take responsibility for men's behaviour. May I thank you? Firstly, for just everything you've said, but also um, as somebody who is aware of the influence you have. Because, again, trolling, like, I I love it when a man comes and starts to not not swoop in and save or rescue, but, but add to the discussion. Because, as you said, as soon as a man starts talking... The, on, men, it, the men listen. The men listen. And it's so frustrating. It's it's in it, it. I hope it's not the way in when you know you and I will meet in fifty years time, and it'll be completely different. Hopefully, twenty years, ten years, five years, a year, maybe it'll all radically change. But oh my goodness, right now it still is. As soon as a man comes in and says, "Oi, mate, oi, what what are you what are you playing at?" Like, like, come on, listen, listen to this. This is she's got a point. Um, they will listen. Yeah, it's it's like if you're the. If you run a company, if you're the CEO of a company, you're more likely to run a a company that is big on equality if you have a daughter. So if you have a, a horse in the race, and I'm trying to get us out of that mentality, it's not about you, because that, that then becomes person-centric. It's not about you, and it's not about your daughter. It's about society and the responsibility that we all have. It's great that you're now thinking about it, but I'm trying to make people think about it without having that horse in the race. And to say, you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know when, I don't know, one day my brain might explode and something will go wrong. And I now know that I have the tools to at least start to talk about it. But if I'd have had mental health problems in my 18, 19, 20s, I'd have been fucked, like lots of men are, like all the men that kill themselves are. 
because they haven't been given the tools to even start to recognize that they have a problem, never mind talk about it because it's just bury it down. And it is the same thing with misogyny and it is the same thing with violence. You don't know when you're going to become violent because you don't know when it's all going to boil over. This, Mo- is, this is why I wanted to get you in because you... You're sticking your head above the parapet, and I I don't know what it's like. I don't know what it's like. I've got I've got lovely nephews. I've had boyfriends. I've got these incredible people who come to my shows, and quite often it's single men coming to my shows on their own, and they they seem to gravitate towards it, and they want to talk about mental illness, but they can only do it through a prism of comedy, and I can only do it because as a woman. That phrase, but as but as I, I, that's the only way that I can see the world is is <laughs> through the eyes of a, of being in a female body. I am allowed to talk about my feelings. I'm allowed to be emotional. I'm allowed to. I, I'm in fact invited to. It is welcome to, and I can play upon that stereotype. Well, it's expected. It's of you. entirely expected. Yeah. My problem is that when I'm standing on stage and I'm trying to make people laugh about it, it's a fine line between are they pitying me or are they laughing? I want their laughter. I don't want their pity. Yeah. So it's trying to play down the pitying. Oh, poor me, poor mm. me. I don't want that. I just want them to laugh. But then hearing hearing the stories of the men, and the men are the ones after the shows, not all of them, but many of them, especially they're on their own, and they want to talk, and I want to help them, but I will never understand what they've gone through. Yeah. So I'm very selfishly inviting you on this podcast so that I can hear and listen a bit more which I'm doing quite badly right now because I'm No you're not talking. no no this because this is interesting to me as well because I, this all helps with the, the 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 language that I can take out to people and say I've spoken to you I can now I can now relay this and say I've spoken to Juliet and she said that men come on their own to speak to her and that is that is such a, a red flag the guy's there on his own to talk to you because he's like he's heard you maybe on a podcast maybe at a previous show and thinks, maybe she'll listen to me. 12-year-old boys, when I went and did my research, 12-year-old boys told me they couldn't speak to their own dad about about feeling sad because he, they were scared about the fact that he might feel embarrassed for him or in that situation. So I said, well, who do you talk to? Mum or Miss, my old English teacher that was sat next to me. And I looked at her and she was gobsmacked. Nobody had had these conversations with these children before in front of her. And afterwards I said, you didn't know this. But I knew this. These children rely on you to be your sounding board because you're a woman and because they have been educated from the time that they are four years old where there are zero men around them. The men are either at work, they're they're absent, they're certainly not in early years education, they're barely in primary education and they're tumbling out of secondary education. So when young boys are asking questions about their lives and trying to understand their place in the world, they only have women to talk to about it. And so... Caring and sharing and emotions become feminized. They are a female thing. And what do young boys get told is the most is, is, is the worst thing that they can be called or referred to? A girl. Which frustrates the hell out of me. Of course. Of course. Of, of all women, because it, it then associates weakness with women and and then it's, it doesn't serve the men because because to be called a woman, to be called weak is it, it what, what are we teaching young boys about women and girls if a young boy says one of the worst things they can be called as a woman or a girl. It's the same with gay. It's the same with all of that. It's anything, yeah, anything with the perceived weakness because women are physically weaker than men. That inarguable. That's, that's a biological yeah. trait. But yeah. but I but I see I 
think, and I am adamant, that the female the kind of female traits, what are what are considered to be female traits and what are feminized in society breeds empathy. Yes. And that's what we don't read in men. We do not read empathy. And I understand back in the day when we were chasing mammoths around and we were murdering tribes and stuff in order to get what little food there was around, lack of empathy would have been suitable then. And there is an argument that men have less of a um, a, a natural empathetic nature and, and I'm not sure that's true. But whether or not that's true or not, whether it's true or not, is, is to me irrelevant. Because if it is true, we should be trying doubly hard with boys to teach them empathy. And if it isn't true, and boys end up at five years old already showing empathetic divergence, what the fuck are we doing in five years? to say That's why the front of my book... I'm going to a little plug here. The front of my book is a small blonde boy, meant to represent me, and then behind him is shadow projecting on a wall is this giant behemoth of a man with muscles. Because that's what we're telling young boys they have to grow up to be in order to be a proper man. And of course, therefore, they don't grow up thinking about interpersonal relationships. They don't grow up thinking about themselves, their own place in the world, the impact it has. All they want to do is prove their status. All they want to do is shag as many women as they can. All they want to do is get muscles that are actually unhealthily big. It, it, we don't breed enough young men, and, 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 I, and I'm not talking about all young men here because some I meet are amazing and I thank every time I meet one I thank them for being themselves because they're actually the brave ones the meek guys that you don't really hear from you hear me screaming over the top of them they're the brilliant guys who've gone this is nonsense what you're talking about the guys that came to me when my book came out and said why should I listen to you I was never like that and I said you don't need to this isn't for you but just help me spread the message because I wasn't listening to you for too long but they're also the ones, like all, all, all of the guys I've, I know of, are suffering under the under the, the hands of the, the banner of this this um, the umbrella of macho culture, yeah, which is still permeating. Like, oh, the, yeah. even the most feminist, strong, enlightened men that I know still have that kind of shadow over them of. Um, well, the man goes out and provides, or yeah. or it you don't cry. Um, I'm I'm back on the dating scene at the moment, and um, I found it enlightening in lots of ways. Um, there's a guy that I I really I quite quite like taking a shine to, and he was quite proud of the fact that he hadn't cried. He can't remember the last time he cried, and I was like, that's that's not a good thing. But you're such he's such an empathetic, kind, warm person, and I've always found. I always found characters, and I'm saying characters because I had a had a conversation with with said guy about um first ever crushes, and my first ever crush was on Donatello from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Nice, okay. Thanks. I was a Leonardo man myself. But... Yeah, I can imagine that because you're quite a Captain America kind of guy. Okay. Yeah, so like. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It's all right. Uh, but I I I loved I loved Donatello because uh I found like I liked the the pacifism and the fact that he had a stick. They all had like knives and swords and nunchucks. Mm, nunchucks. Yeah. He had a, a stick. Yeah. You can't really can't really kill somebody with a stick. Well, well you, not yeah. unless you learn how to use it properly. But I take I take <laughs> your point. It's less aggressive as a weapon exactly. than nunchucks and daggers and yeah, and yes. two swords. So let's take that into a metaphor of away from cartoons yeah, yeah. and and um, although I'd love to talk about the Avengers right now, um, but yeah, I I I felt that I was naturally from a really early age drawn towards empathetic male characters. Yeah. Um, and because I felt safe, because I felt secure um, around them. And 
and that is a very attractive quality in a human. Yeah. Forget about gender. Yeah, yeah. Forget about sex. Yeah. Just just to be around somebody who is empathetic. And the people that I've met um, through the shows, the, the, the people who identify as male through my shows who I've met, they, they seem... <laughs> they haven't... Sorry, I reversed, reversed that, that sentence order because that they don't identify as male because of my shows. They don't <laughs> it's a powerful show. <laughs> it's a very powerful show. Uh, the people who come to my shows and they identify as male. Yeah. Um, they are obviously just screaming out for for a hug, a hug, <laughs> and I will hug anybody. They must. They after my shows, they have to hold their breath because I sweat quite a lot on stage. Um, but I, 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 I bleed for them. Mm. They then these people who take pride in not in not crying. And... Yeah, I, I tell this. I tell this to people all the time. Is that your tears exist because you literally cry a stress hormone out of your body when yeah. you cry. That there is a biological reason for everything that we do, and we, you, you are all you're doing is storing up stress in your body without crying. When I first really properly cried after my dad died, when I first broke down, because that's what it feels like. It feels like a breakdown because it was it's breaking down everything that was that was here. Because let me tell you this, this is no slight on my dad because my dad was amazing, and you know I, I wrote this in my book is that you know my granddad was stoic in the face of gardening and it was literally the only thing he ever admitted that he liked doing. Uh, granddad, are you all right? Yeah. Like, oh, come on, you're in the garden. I know you're enjoying this. When my dad lay dying and he was losing his faculties and he could still move his arm and he couldn't really speak and talk anymore, I started to sob on him and he tapped the top of my head and wagged his finger and was said, even then, no. Oh my god. Even then, no. And my mum swears that's not what happened, but I know my relationship with my dad. I remember being eight years old and crying in the swimming pool because I'd been promoted up a group and didn't have walls to hold, to, ha- to hold on to. And when he came and picked me up, face of thunder, because of course, but again, not his fault. He is a, you know, he, he is a part of this. And my dad was one of the most caring, empathetic, brilliant dads. He used to skive off work to make sure he could spend time with us. He, you know, he, he, he turned down job promotions so that he didn't, you know, so he didn't, lose time with his three sons brilliant father but still internally he had that stupid man filter where he couldn't even as he was dying and i know he was doing it to protect himself because he didn't want to feel sad himself but so it took months after that as i lifted his coffin onto my shoulder i started to well up i asked someone to hold it for me i sprinted around the corner i cried for 10 seconds hit myself in the face ran back round <sighs> what why, is what, that why, 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 exactly, why? What are we teaching me? What has my dad been taught? What has my granddad been taught? What have, what have men been taught that it's not okay to show even that much emotion and not recognising the health benefits that it has? Mind had a, had a campaign a couple of years ago that um, they asked me to write an article for about crying and about they were trying to promote the idea that crying is the simplest way of relieving anxiety and anxiety disorder. If you just allow yourself to cry, having a good cry at an advert, at a... Like, I mean, I, I will cry at adverts. Yeah, of course. I, I, mean, I, I do now. I'm, 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 op- I'm too open now. It's ridiculous. But I would rather be too open. Mm, I, me too. I, I used to be that kind of... Um, my my family i love my family to pieces um just I, yeah just they are my family but we are a very stoic family um and uh, you don't talk about certain things and um and yes i'm doing this podcast um 
but I, I, I used to not. I used to say to my mum when she used to pick me up from therapy and she asked me how I was. I said, oh, I'm, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. And that wasn't a lie. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't have any other words to. I, I didn't know how to talk about what yeah. what I was really feeling or thinking. Um, nowadays, uh, I, 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 I was. I'm trying to check myself. I'll be honest. I haven't cried as much as I need to recently. Um, but I suspect that over Christmas I might have a good few days of just solid crying. But it feels amazing yeah. because it feels like that's when, when I'm really existing properly, fully. Properly feeling. Properly feeling. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about aggression. Okay. Because there are two men who have played very significant parts in my life. Who one of whom is a family member, and one of whom uh, is uh, an ex-partner, who I was extremely close to, and both of them, uh, I believe, had undiagnosed mental health conditions, and I think that it exhibited for them as aggression, uh, and the kind of aggression which goes from naught to a hundred without okay. any real indication, and. I want to understand that more because one one of those two did did eventually get diagnosed with depression but I for all for all the years that I knew him I had no idea that that was what was was going on and me like I'm an ambassador for a mental health charity and yet aggression didn't translate to me as depression could you educate me uh, please well i mean yes and no so, as a caveat, I've thrown one punch in my life, missed, punched a car bonnet and shattered my knuckle. So violence and aggression was never for me. I played rugby because I was forced to, because I was too fat to play football at school. And I didn't really like it, but my brothers played rugby and I was quite good at it because I'm just one of those guys, if you can throw a ball at me, I can catch it. Like, But there, are study, there was a study that, I'm, that fascinates me in America, and I should learn the name of the people that did it, but I can, I'm too lazy. Basically, what they did was they took a load of boys and girls and at age about five or six, they asked them to write down on a piece of paper all the emotions that they feel. The girls wrote, I think it was about six or seven at that age. The boys wrote three. Happiness, anger, and... Hunger. Yeah, I think it's, it's something like that. Anyway, and one that's, not, one that's weird and not an important one. By the time they got to 10 or 11, they asked the same boys and girls the same question. And the girls had, by then, had 14, 15. The boys had about six. But what was really interesting was when they asked the boys the same question but said, what emotions do your sister or your mum feel? They wrote the same 14, 15 that the girls had written down. So they know that the emotions exist. They see them. They understand them because they see them in the people around them. But they know they're not for them. Except for anger and happiness and whatever the other ones were, which are like hunger and being silly or whatever. And the anger one is the one that boys learn is a good way of getting out frustration and emotion, getting out whatever is built up inside of you is by smashing something to pieces. Another human, a wall. It's why... I think partly why men are so keen to go on these kind of outdoor adventure type things because it's a way of getting out this kind of pent-up energy. But as part of my research, I spoke to a, a criminal lawyer, criminal solicitor, and he said that the vast majority of the clients that he sees for violence, the vast majority are people who've lashed out once. They are men 
who have lashed out once in the street, at home, in work, wherever, where everything has got too much for them and they don't have the emotional intelligence and the emotional tools to deal with that at that point. And like in your story, this isn't a one-off incident. This is a build-up over time. This is a build-up over years for some people, decades even. And men become aggressive towards other people, towards inanimate objects, and towards themselves. Which is why it's a horrible, horrible statistic, and I've been told not to say it, but I I have to. Men do not try and take their own lives more than women, but they do them in more lethal ways. Yes, yeah, no, entirely. They ensure that they do it. Because they do it in for two reasons. Part well, partly I think we'll never know really. Partly because it's about making sure that it happens because of the shame. Yeah. But it's also about a violent and an enacting of violence upon oneself or somebody else. And 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 it's and again, the violence and the aggression thing is also a lack of empathy. It's a lack of empathy for yourself. You know, I I can't punch somebody because. Some, sometimes, honestly, I sit there and I think to myself, this, I, I really hate this person. I'd love to punch them in, my, in the face. Like I'm, and, I know, and I know I'm not the only person that thinks that. I can see it in your eyes yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I'm not looking at you. I'm just <laughs> hiding behind this microphone. Um, but, I think, but then I start laughing and I think, well, what, would, what, you know, what, what could happen? What's the worst? You know, I could hurt myself. I could hurt somebody else. And I start laughing and whatever. And, but, but so many men don't understand that they're that their explosion of violence can not only destroy themselves, destroy somebody else, destroy something that they love. You know, I've seen men just chuck their mobile phone at the floor in anger and then pick it up about 20 minutes later and go, oh, shit. And go, yeah, what, I mean, what did, you, what did you think? Because in that moment, they didn't have anything inside them saying, okay, this is bad, but let's think about this, this, you know, let's talk to this person, let's cry, let's let's walk and have a minute to ourselves even. But no, anger is an acceptable male emotion. And it's one of very few that we have in our toolbox. Anger is fine. Not a problem. Being angry is is, is is important sometimes. But when it's one of very few tools that you have, we go to it more often. And so we go to it in situations where it's not the right emotion. And of course, then that turns into aggression and violence. There's two things that I want to explore there. There's firstly the idea that in in therapy, I've, I've been to therapy for oh, well over half my life, uh, and I know I, I only look 21, but um, I, I'm actually much older. So about 16 years of my life I've been in therapy, and one of the best things that I've learned in therapy is behind all anger is fear. And for me, at least in my experience, whenever I felt angry, there is always fear underneath it. So I kind of want to ask about that around men, but I also, and I'm going to say it out loud, just because sometimes I forget yeah. my train of thought. Um, the uh, alternative is the, again, for me, as a woman, we're not allowed to feel angry. We're allowed to cry. We're allowed to be overly emotional. But when it comes to anger, it's not womanly. It's not. It's not. There's feminine. a stigma attached to it for women. Yeah. yeah, sure. Which frustrates me because I'm raging quite a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, but being able to be to be able to say just say the words, not even act out and not be aggressive, mm. just say, "I am angry." That's a huge. Even saying that right now, what am I angry about today? What am I angry about today? I I am always there's always a bit of anger. Today I'm quite angry um, that 
I I went to a, went to a pub uh, for lunch because I'm living the dream, and the way I was ordering my food, my friend wasn't eating. I was with a male friend. My friend wasn't eating, and the waiter, when he brought the food over and asked whether he wanted salt and pepper or anything else, addressed him. Yeah. Addressed my male friend. It was my food. Yeah. Why does? And the other day, hang on, I'm on a roll now. Yeah. The other day, I ordered soup with a big group of friends, and one of my male friends uh, said started telling me that I needed to season my own soup. And I was like, no, I, I quite like the taste of it. It's like, no, 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 it needs more salt and pepper. I was like, you haven't even tasted it, dude. Sorry. Also, my soup. I'm not sorry. No, yeah, yeah, no, you're not sorry. You shouldn't I'm be sorry. I'm not sorry. No. So, we're, we're, I was going to use this example. So, my partner is one of the least aggressive people I've ever met. And once uh, we were at a festival recently and we found a guy who was, he was on a bad trip um, and we kind of sat with him uh, and I found a doctor and we sat with him. And then she went off with another guy that she'd met on the path and said, can you help me? I'm going to go and find someone um, and we're going to take them to the right tent and whatever. And when her and this guy arrived at um, at the, the kind of hospital tent, whatever it was called, she was the one that found him. She was the one that knew what was wrong with him. They addressed him throughout. The first time I'd ever seen her get angry, she arrived back and she was furious. And about 10 minutes later, after everything had been sorted and the guy had been taken away, I saw her scream and literally kung fu kick the patriarchy. And I'd never seen that for three and a half years we've been going out. And at that moment, not only was I super proud and was on my knees like telling her how much I loved her because I know I, I, I get it. Like, well, I don't get it, but I understand. But also, to see her get that angry about it was amazing because she'd never been angry before. And she's seen me angry loads of times. And again, it was one of those thought processes of going, holy shit, I, I, that, she's seen me scream at the top of my lungs and throw stuff, and I'd never seen her do it. There's, so the, there's, I've recently started realising that my favourite men to be around are the ones who, because I have a little, I have little scream shouty moments. And I, I mean that in a quite a delicate way, like, but if somebody isn't, if somebody is hiding their light under a bushel, to use an outdated phrase, um, if somebody is holding themselves back, I have no patience for that anymore because they are incredible and amazing. And if you're listening to this, I'm meaning you right now. You are incredible and amazing. You do not need to hide. I know you're scared, but you have such potential. And what are you waiting for? Because life is short. And I have these little moments which are very empathetically driven, <laughs> I like to tell myself. But I will kind of slightly, slightly scream shout with love at somebody who's maybe holding themselves back only because yeah. I see myself and how I used to be in them and I don't want them to waste a second longer not reaching their full potential because I've wasted so many years of my life doing that. And it's the people that I'm around who sit back and go, yeah, I'm going to let her do that because that's that's an important voice to have. Yeah. Do you think that the world would be better if women were allowed to be a bit more angry and men were allowed to cry a bit more yeah of course it would be okay good of course it would be because i, I go up to i go up to guys that weirdly kind of on the flip side of what you do i go up to guys and so again this these you know burning man festival is the festival oh, yeah. i was talking about so my partner and i are burners and we and we go to one particularly in denmark and one year a guy drowned in the sea and it was pretty shit and I walked around and I decided, because at these places everybody has a role to play, and I decided that what I was going to do was I was going to go and find all the guys that were stood there and were, they were these these are people who are mainly quite in touch with their emotions anyway because that's the world they're kind of hippie-ish, that's, that's the world they're living in. And yet there were still guys stood there fighting back the tears and I grabbed them, 
not aggressively, on the shoulders or, or the sides of the face. And I would look at them and I would say, stop it. And they go, stop what? And I say, stop trying to be here for everybody else because you can't be here for everybody else until you're here for yourself. I'd done my bit. I'd actually taken his friends away because I knew, because I'd already done the crying and the understanding and the, this is really shit. And I was in a position to do that. When I came back, there were so many guys who were walking around like zombies because these are guys who are trying to be better, but they're still stuck and they're not sure. And they need someone to say to them, hey, it's fine. It's okay for you to feel like shit. This is awful. To say to them, yes, this is awful. I know. Stop trying to be here for everybody else. Be here for yourself first. And that's what I've heard you all say when we met with the Mental Health Collective. That's what you know. all, all of you were saying was the most important thing that I took from that, that meeting of you amazing people was look after yourself first. Stop trying to do podcasts every day <laughs> if you're not able to do a podcast every day. I'm able to because, again, like I say, I'm fortunate. But there are still times when I need to look after myself. There were times recently when I've been quite lonely. And I, what did I do? I didn't do all the things that I'd been preaching to people to do because I'm still male. It's still in there. I still sat there going, well, I'm fine. Because really, I was fine. But it could have got worse. And I wasn't reaching out to people that I should have been. And when I told my mate, my mate jokingly slapped me and was like, what, what are you doing? Like, Why did you not call? I was like, ah, it doesn't really matter, does it? does matter it matters every day that you do the right thing for yourself first and that's why i see men that are struggling and see men that need help and i help them or i try to in the most minor ways that i can i go up to them and tell them how brilliant they are tell them you know i do this particularly with women particularly with women who are doing who are struggling or men that are struggling with confidence i go up to them and i tell them you're amazing stop doubting yourself allow yourself to be whoever it is you want to be and if the world doesn't accept you go and find a different world go and find a world that does accept you because they do exist i found a different world that accepted me and that's what we have to do for everyone you find a world that accepts you you find other people with similar problems to you similar likes to you similar cares to you wear similar clothes to you that's what you do and if you don't like the world i tell this to young boys at school if you don't like the group of friends that you're hanging around with why are you still hanging around with them they're not your friends if you don't like them. I've I always felt like I didn't belong and I've now found people um weird and wonderful, incredible, amazing, fascinating, flawed humans. Um yeah. and they're my people and I love making them laugh and uh, I don't always fit into certain comedy circles. I don't always fit into certain theatre circles because I'm too comedy for one and too theatre yeah. in the other. And too female for some. Exactly, too <laughs> yeah. female. And then too ambitious and um, and stubborn, which are male traits apparently. But they're not. They're female traits. They're, they're my traits. Yeah. I'm stubborn and ambitious and I'm not going to apologise for that. Yeah. So yeah, the, being able to find your crowd. And do you know what? <laughs> when I'm When I'm doing shows, my crowd will find me. Mm. And no matter whether that's whether that doesn't fit into a comedy club circuit, whether that doesn't fit into a theatre circuit, it doesn't really matter because it fits into their hearts. God, that sounds crazy. Yeah. 
Um, it's true. I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Well, we, we do need to talk about the solution of the episode. Uh, and we've come to that time of the episode now. So thanks for all of the solutions that um, the listeners have sent in so far. Um, even the totally impractical and outright legal ones. Um, it's nice to know that people are feeling engaged. Um, this is the section of the show where we're asking people um, what the one thing is that has helped them the most with their mental health conditions. And I asked you before you came on the podcast and you said, I don't have any mental health conditions. And I thought, oh, I didn't well. say it like that. <laughs> I did not say it like that, but yeah, I did say that. You did. I'm paraphrasing. I wasn't quite flipping about right. it. No, you you weren't. I I mean, you texted it to me, and tone is, is yeah. You read into it. Yeah, what you were, yeah. yeah. Um, I but you said that it was your. Although you haven't struggled with mental health conditions as a diagnosis, yeah. You perhaps your mental well being overall has been helped and enhanced by your work that you now do. Yeah. Well, my my general sense of self has been enhanced. And with it, my life has therefore been enhanced. And you you tie all those things together. And of course, that then makes it less likely that I will end up in a bad place because I'm content with who I am. If I'd carried on down the path of pretending to be this macho dickhead that I pretended to be for so long, I don't know where I would have ended up. Like a lot of guys, I might have ended up in a place where I was miserable, I was hanging around with people that I didn't like, I was doing things that I didn't want to do, and I wasn't feeling the things that I needed to feel. And now that will hopefully never happen. I will never get to a place where I don't feel myself, where I don't feel I'm able to be myself, and where I don't feel able to express whatever it is that feels like Chris Hemmings on whatever day it is that I'm feeling it. And I'm fortunate to have people around me now that understand that. I have people around me now who came to me when I was in a bad place, when I was three months into the cocaine and alcohol binge and said to me, hey, mate, stop it. You're getting to a dark place and we want you to come back from it now. You've had enough. That's enough of the darkness. Come back. And I'm not sure if the people that I'd that I'd been around at university would have not even whether they'd have wanted to, whether or not they would have been able to. That's the point. I'm sure they would have wanted to, but it's the whether or not they would have had the the capacity and empathy to, to be able to reach out to me. And as I'm repeating what I've already said, but surround yourself with the people that get you and the people that allow you to be you and your life will be so much better. I think that's that's the main message of this podcast, uh, this episode in particular, because I, I, I completely identify that for me, people question why I've chosen comedy or a portfolio artistic career. And it it's so simple in my head. It, it was like a light bulb moment of if I have to be alive, if I have to put this much effort into just managing my brain, which is such a slog, I, I do not like being in this brain. Um I hope it's not as hard for other people as it is as it feels like it is for me sometimes. God, that sounds very self-pitying. I mean, it can be wonderful and incredible, but if I have to put this much effort in, it has to be for something that I adore, something that makes me want to get out of bed in the morning. And I know that reaching people, doing these podcasts, listening to other people speak after my shows, doing the shows, hearing people laugh about the darkest moments in my life, that... That is that makes me want to fight against any demon. That's what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's finding your people, finding yeah. your place, finding your voice, which you've found. Yeah. But but also 
I've recognised, and a lot of people need to recognise. So I say this increasingly often, but it gets people's backs up when I say it, but I'm going to say it now. I'm amazing. I think I'm amazing. But I think that because I know that I have one of the easiest brains on earth to live in of anyone that I've ever met. And I am so fortunate to have this brain. So, so fortunate. And I don't want to waste it walking around, staring at the sky and going, well, this is great. I want to say, okay, here's what it's like in my brain. Let me understand what it's like in yours. And let me try and help so that fewer people end up in a place where your brain is like that. And that's what I'm trying to do particularly with men, mostly with men, because I can empathize with men. I I know where their brain is messing up. Sometimes it's self-inflicted. A lot of the time it's self-inflicted. Not all the time, of course, but a lot of it is self-inflicted or societally inflicted. And I just want to be able to use this easy brain that I've got to help those guys to get to a place where their brain is as close as possible to where mine is. You say easy, I think um, extraordinary would be another word uh, that I would use to describe your brain and your personality. Right, Rethink Mental Illness. Sorry, such an amazing podcast. Such Oh, such an amazing podcast that I've created. I've, look I've at this been, thing that I did. Oh, wow, I've invited so many amazing guests. <laughs> oh, look at me and my amazing friends. Um, right. uh, now that I've done the, me bigging myself up, you said you're amazing. I'm amazing too. Yeah, you are. Hooray! <laughs> yes, I was waiting for that. Thank you. <laughs> and and you're amazing listening as well, uh, lovely it's listeners. It's true. Do you know who else is amazing? Rethink Mental Illness. Uh, they are the uh, charity that I'm an ambassador for and they are also part of this podcast so we want to say a big thank you to them um rethink mental illness uh say that uh, when it comes to things that help us with our mental health there is no one size fits all and whatever works for one person might not work for the next what we would say is try things out and see what works for you so perhaps finding a career that helps you finding friends that helps you these are things that we've been speaking about today uh, maybe even reading books reading books is an excellent thing to do to help your mental health and is there you a book? In mind? I'm, I'm thinking about <laughs> maybe reading a book by this guy called chris hemmings oh wait that's you oh, uh, wow. is it called be a man it's called be a man how macho culture damages us and how to escape it and it's available in bookshops please don't buy it from amazon because they take all the money off me but buy it anywhere else that top tip there you yeah. go don't forget about the online go go into a bookshop do you know i love going to bookshops it's one of my favorite things is just going and getting lost and reading and and then not buying anything <laughs> Rethink Mental Illness also have some information for you guys. Uh, if you want any more information about mental health uh, or mental health conditions, then uh, you can go onto the Rethink uh, Mental Illness website, which is rethink.org. Um, and if you want more information or support uh, for any of the conditions that we've uh, can we've briefly mentioned in any of these podcasts or if you're worried about your own mental health or somebody else's uh, Rethink recommend that you see your GP first uh, but then also they can offer advice and information through free fact sheets at rethink.org and also they have a helpline uh, and you can call them on 0300 5000 927 lines open Monday to Friday 9.30am to 4pm excluding bank holidays or you can email advice at rethink.org and that's uh, from anywhere in the world the phone line probably will only work if you're in the UK for 24-7 emotional support, Rethink also recommends Samaritans on 116123 in the UK and Ireland or email joe at samaritans.org. And if you're outside of the UK, we all recommend that you go to see your doctor first who can recommend local support.
Now, we also have to round up this uh, this wonderful podcast <laughs> and we round it up with the section called Positive Thing because I was not having a creative day when I tried to think of a title for it. And this is... <laughs> this, <laughs> In this section, I tell you something positive that I've learned and I've already learned so many positive things from this section that the section is almost a positive thing in itself. So don't worry, it isn't actually. Uh, that would probably suck. So um, this week's positive thing is, well, we've got a couple of things actually. We've had quite a, a dark and light kind of show. There's lots of darkness we've spoken about um, and we've also had lots of light. But I think sometimes when your mind takes you to dark places, it is vital to seek out the light. And that is why I am convinced that most moths suffer from clinical depression <laughs> so uh, we're going to go for some slightly darker ones uh, darker facts darker positive facts for you this week did you know Chris that a prison in Washington pairs up death row shelter cats with sele select inmates as part of a rehabilitation program and it seems to be a pretty wonderful thing for both the inmates and the cats uh, and did you also know that blind people smile even though they've never seen anyone else smile I, I mean I assumed that but I'd never thought of it that way it's a beautiful thing when you think of it yeah, do you want to know one more one more positive yeah, fact? Yeah, I do, yeah. Okay, a little bit of light and shade for you. Um, turtles can breathe through their buttholes. Okay, that's handy. Can I add one positive Please, fact? Please, go for it. It's going to sound corny, but I'm going to say it. No, go for it. The positive it. facts for everyone listening at home is you're all amazing. Please start believing that you're amazing because you are. Chris is not lying there. I'm going to get as close to the microphone as he did and say, he's completely correct. Yeah. You, my lovely, are phenomenal yeah. Chris thank you so much you've been absolutely incredible yourself um, I feel I feel quite starstruck now thank you so much uh, for coming on if you want to find out any more about Chris uh, where can we go where, where, if you if you Chris if you wanted to find out more about you where would you go my house <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a website. I should get a website. Do you not have a website? I'm too lazy. I follow you on Twitter. Yeah, I've got Twitter. I've got a Twitter site. I'm at Hemch, H-E-M-M-C-H, which was my computer password when I was 11 years old at school. Oh, we can all hack into your 11-year-old yeah. self's uh, computer. Yeah, at H-E-M-M-C-H. Amazing. And any Facebook or Instagram? or No, no Instagram because it was ruining my mind. Uh, and uh, you can read some of my stuff. I've written for The Independent and The Telegraph. And uh, my book is the base, main place to find me, I guess. Yeah, I, I I would recommend the book. I'm not, not very good at the old self-promotion thing. There's quite a few... Which is ironic because I'm arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say arrogant. I'd say uh, confident okay. and uh, with Thanks. a stable self-esteem. Good save. I'm massively envious of. Uh, so <laughs> thank you so much. You've been an incredible guest. I'm genuinely love, loved having you in. Thank you so much to Rethink Mental Illness, to our wonderful guest, Chris Hemmings. And this show was produced, written and presented by me, uh, I'm Juliet Burton. If you wanted to find out more about me, you can go on to julietburton.co.uk. That's J-U-L-I-E-T-T-E-B-U-R-T-O-N.co.uk. You can find me on Twitter at Juliet Burton. You can find me on Instagram at Juliet underscore Burton, unless it's ruining your mental health, in which case don't worry about Instagram. And I'm also on Facebook, Juliet Burton, writer, performer. And all of those uh, social media channels will come straight through directly to me. I have no minions. I have no nobody doing any of that stuff for me. It's just little old me. I'm not so little. Actually, I'm petite. I'm five foot five. You are quite little. Yeah, thanks. I'm all right. Um, but I am definitely not old because that is just in your mentality. 
Chris, thank you so much. And if any of you out there want to find out more about Positive Mental Attitude podcasts, why not listen to all of the other podcasts that we've done so far this year? And if anyone wants to sponsor us, then please get in touch via any of my social media channels. That would be amazing. You guys have been incredible listeners. Chris has been an amazing guest. There's lots of reasons to be positive, most of all because of how wonderful you are. So until the very next Positive Mental Attitude podcast, stay positive.